So it's two Sundays past Labor Day, you might have noticed. Uh, but I'm ready to talk about labor anytime. And I don't think you can really talk about recreation without talking about labor. There's the famous slogan, eight hours for work, eight hours for rest, eight hours for what we will. Quick math, that adds up to 24, that's a full day. There's the cry of the early labor movement pushing to end those days of 14 and 16 hour days in factories, seeking to get children away from industrial machinery and into classrooms and playgrounds. And so on May 1st, 1886, hundreds of thousands of American workers nationwide went on strike, demanding an eight-hour workday. The slogan was, eight hours for work, eight hours for rest, eight hours for what we will. All work stopped for railroads and factories. By the end of the day, an estimated 150,000 workers had already earned a guarantee of shorter working hours including 35,000 meat packers in Chicago. So, if you are one of, now it seems like the lucky few, but if you are one of those who work a 40-hour work week, if you have days off each week, if you have workplace safety protections, you owe this, of course, to our labor movement. So if we don't have the time to talk about this, when will we, even if it's past Labor Day? I note, too, that this week, all around the globe, youth and allies are doing a global climate strike. In other words, using their time to make a statement about what matters, that we have to get real about climate change and how we mitigate and survive it at this point. There are events around the East Bay. I note there's one this Saturday in Richmond. And one of the things I most respect about the labor movement is that it was serious about time. That our time matters, and if we don't have any control over it, then we are not truly free. I spoke this morning in personal theology about church and state and politics and faith and religion and all sorts of stuff, really. And one thing I said uh, to those gathered there is that I had been a political follower. That is, I paid attention to what was going on. I voted in virtually every election, but that it was getting religion getting involved in a faith community through a Unitarian Universalist congregation that got me more serious about politics. Yeah, it took getting religious to get politics. I don't know what that says about me. But it says this, I think, is that if our faith is to mean anything, if we really care about the things we say we do, we have to politically engage. We have to be involved with the political process that determines so much about the things we say we care about. And so I'm proud of the work this congregation does in the political and lawmaking arena, out in the streets, and in our own walls, too. I'm proud that we as a faith take time seriously, or attempt to anyway. My hero, the theologian and ethicist James Luther Adams, has a really great, very easy read, relatively speaking, called Taking Time Seriously in which he argues for this very thing. We have to be serious about time. We have to know what we're doing. The labor movement's eight-hour slogan is very deeply about this thing. I wanted to share an interesting story, an anecdote about the intersection of labor and religion in America. You may or may not know this, but Sunday schools 
were started because those children who worked in factories, many of them working six or seven days a week, 12 to 14 hours a day, the only way they had to learn anything, including how to read or write, was to do it in church. Factory owners, not willingly, but did it anyway, allowed workers a day or at least half a day to attend church. And so while you were at church, Sunday school was not so much about teaching the Bible as about teaching children everything. So back to this thing about taking time seriously. If we're to say that time truly matters, then our free time, what we have of it, certainly matters. It tells us a lot about ourselves to see what we spend our time on when we have the choice, whether that's sitting in front of the couch watching TV or something else. There are interesting studies about different ways of life, actually, about how people in different cultures use time. There's one I I came across that I heard about years ago and I looked up um, in order to talk about here in the sermon, that traditional hunter-gatherer cultures had actually quite a lot more free time than most of us do today. There have been several studies of modern hunter-gatherer cultures that note that they spend less time working than comparable people who farm nearby. And not like a tiny bit less, 15 to 20% or more less time spent working. Now, I don't mean to equate all the things there. We have some modern advances that are good, but it's interesting that all our modern technology has allowed us even less free time. Our supposedly advanced culture Okay, well, whatever free time we do have, and I hope you have some, what are we to do with it? So, I was talking with some colleagues about this sermon, and one of them pointed out a really great ministry to me. It's in Atlanta, Georgia. It's called the Nap Ministry. I don't know how much it exists in person or if it's mostly an online thing, but they have a really great little website you should check out. And this is from there. I'm going to quote them. The nap ministry is a meditation on naps as resistance. It's an artistic, historical, and spiritual examination on the liberating power of naps. It reimagines why rest is a form of resistance and shines a light on the issue of sleep deprivation as a justice issue. It is counter-narrative to the belief that we all are not doing enough and should be doing more. We are community-centered, they write. We are focused on radical self-care. End quote. Radical self-care. Taking care of our bodies and our souls and our minds. This is one of the things I think we are trying, however imperfectly, to do here at UUCB. Radical self-care. Radical care of each other. Yes, radical care for our world. Trying to do that spiritual growth. I'm so energized that all of us come here every Sunday of our own free will to do this, that it's so important we do that. That doesn't mean we have to offer naps, though the couches in the atrium are reasonably comfortable for that. But we do now, perhaps more than ever, have to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. And that means things like, yes, enough sleep, and taking care of our bodies, and being in relationship with our neighbors, and community. 
with people who love and support us and challenge us to do better. So what we do with our time, however much or little of it we have, it defines who we are. We might say we hate our job. We might actually hate our job. But it is inevitably an important part of life, just like any activity that we do often and repeatedly. The people we spend time with, whether by choice or not, have a huge influence on who we are. The places we are in have a huge influence on who we are. I was lucky enough to do a house blessing for a young couple yesterday and talked about the physical spaces we inhabit. She's a material scientist, actually, so she thinks a lot about this. We had a really great conversation that the places we're in affect us at least as much as we affect them. I don't want to pretend that all of us have a lot of choice in the job we have or the place we live or the leisure activities we do. I know that that's not true for many people. It's become ever more clear to me since moving here to the Bay Area, in fact, that housing, to give one example, is rough. There are people who have no place to live or people who are barely managing to stay in the place they live in right now and people who own houses worth millions of dollars. I know that recreation is no different. We're blessed to have some great free options. I think my boys and I have explored dozens of parks around the East Bay in these last three years and farther afield than that. But some things cost a lot of money. Not everything's an option for everyone. For our recreational opportunities, Kristen and I took our four boys camping a couple weekends ago. Uh, We had wanted, in our sort of drives across the western U.S., we had driven near Crater Lake a few times, but if you're not going to Crater Lake, you're not going to go there. It's not on any road you're normally going to take. And finally, Kristen looked at me and said, well, why don't we just go there? And I said, okay. And so we went to Crater Lake. It's amazing. I have about three sermons lined up just about things I encountered there. (laughs) Preview of the future. And then we stayed at a nearby campground in a place called Diamond Lake, and it, it, was, it was lovely. Though I have to say, I have kind of a love-hate relationship with camping. I like being outdoors, and I don't like dirt between my toes. <laughs> you know, like, just to make it one way. I actually like having camped better than I like camping, maybe. <laughs> Like, I think my rose-colored glasses are now on and how much I enjoyed it. And while I was there, I was sort of complaining a little. Okay. But my free time, what I have of it, is mostly spent with my family. That's what I want to do. That's what matters to me. I would be happy to be identified that way if that's how my time identifies me. And so my question for you today as I close up here is, What does your free time say about you, whether you have a second of it or weeks? What do you do with it? What are your passions? Who does it define you as? Because I hope that our free time spent here, spent out in the world, reflects the person we should be. And if not, that we can do a better job of making it so. So my wish for you is that for each of you, may your free time be a glorious expression of who you are. Amen.